the wheat harvest of Minturno, making orecchetti with Nunzia, and winemaking in the Republic of Georgia. This week, we talk with Michele Malazzi, host and creator of the TV show Bare Feet. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, and this is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome to the show. Each week, we explore a different foodie destination and try the dishes and drinks that make that place unique, plus fun things to do there. And this week, I talk with Michaela Malazzi. Michaela is the host and creator of the TV show Bare Feet. And if you've seen the show, you know it's a show about dancing, but it's also about so much more, including food. So Michaela and I talk about the 8,000-year-old tradition of winemaking in the Republic of Georgia, and Michaela weighs in on a decades-old controversy. Is it sauce or is it gravy? Plus, Michaela makes a big announcement about an upcoming Bare Feet show. Now, Michaela's show Bare Feet is in its third season, and I've been watching it since the first season and wanted to have her on the show for a while. So when I reached out to her and she agreed to be on the show, I was really excited, especially since this new season of Bare Feet features so many places that I really want to travel to. But the thing that I really love about Michaela's show is that she's not afraid to put herself out there. And her and I talk about this uh, a little bit during the interview, but Michaela really has no ego. I mean, she shows herself flubbing up dances in some very funny ways sometimes. And I think it takes a certain kind of person not to be scared to show that stuff, not only in public, but to millions of people on television. And so that was one of the things when I had uh, this interview scheduled with Michaela. It's one of the things that I really wanted to talk about with her. But the funny thing is that almost immediately out of the gate, I make an embarrassing mistake of my own while I'm talking to her. Usually I have notes in front of me when I'm doing an interview. And in this case, I did have notes in front of me, but there was this one part that I wanted to talk about. And you'll hear it at the very beginning of the interview. Um, that I didn't put notes for. So I was going off my memory, and of course, my memory fails me, and I make this embarrassing mistake. So, you know, I wanted to talk about Michaela, about her making mistakes. Right out of the shoot, I make this embarrassing mistake, and she couldn't have been kinder or more forgiving of my stupid mistake. So not only does she put herself out there, but she's also a very kind person when other people make mistakes as well. If you enjoyed Destination Eat Drink, please go to your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pandora or wherever, and leave us a nice review. It really helps us get the word out to more people when you rate and review the show. And all the stuff that we talk about in this interview there are links to Michaela's website and other things that we talk about in the show notes at radiomisfits.com. Just click on podcasts and the Destination Eat Drink podcast. Destination Eat Drink. Michaela, season three of 
Bare Feet just debuted, and I love this program, but for any folks who maybe haven't seen it, can you give like a quick thumbnail sketch of what Bare Feet is about? Yeah, thank you, Brett. Bare Feet, I like to say I'm, I make new friends by dancing with strangers. So basically, I get to experience <laughs> the world one dance at a time, and I get to take viewers with me on these journeys as I connect with people through dance. Dance is a universal language, so... I get to dance and make music with people that I can't speak with verbally. And that's how I get to see the world. And you get to join with me. I think it's the best way to travel, to be honest. We have something in common because you like to see the world through dance. I like to see it through food. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit of similarity there because I think, you know, you learn about a people through their culture and their culture is their traditions, their customs and their food. And dance is part of it. Food is part of it as well. So I think it's really interesting to get inside the places where you're traveling in this way, whether it's by dance or whether it's with food. A hundred percent. I mean, food is, a lot of times food is closely connected to the dances and music. You know, people celebrate together and they're, they, people congregate together through a meal, through a dance, through music. And all of those th three things usually are shared together at the same time. So it's this, it, it, of course it makes sense, right? It is this communal action you're doing together, community bringing people together. And I think that's why I'm drawn to it. I'm sure that's why you're drawn to it, why so many other people are drawn to it. It's so powerful. You talk about the dance and the food being interconnected. And when I started watching season three of your show, the very first shot of the first episode of season three is you taking a big bite of pasta. <laughs> And at that moment, I said, I'm going to love this season. This is going to be great. Oh, but awesome. you go to uh, you go to Puglia, Italy, one yeah. of my favorite places in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And the dance that you learn there definitely has something to do with the harvest. Puglia is known kind of as the breadbasket of mm -hmm. Italy. For people who don't know where Puglia is, it's if you picture Italy as a boot, it's the heel of the boot. Right. And they grow a lot of the durum wheat down there. They make unbelievable pasta. But the dance you learned had something to do with the harvest. I explain that. Well, actually, um, I think you're mixing up the two. And we, oh. No, it's okay. My very first, and I love that you're bringing this up because Puglia, yes, it's about the harvest, um, but the dance specifically is about that community, about bringing people together, healing people. Pizzica, the, the dance that we did there is called La Pizzica, which is actually a healing dance. It's It's been done for hundreds and hundreds of years in some form or, or another around the world, but that concentration of la pizziga is to rid your body of the venom of the spider. And when I say venom of the spider, I'm, I'm saying that in quotes as depression, um, melancholy, especially for women. You know, women were were very oppressed uh, in Southern Italy for hundreds of years. Right, right. So this dance was to rid that body of that depression. Now, I think what you're referring to is our very, very first episode of Bare Feet was shot in Minturno, Italy, which is my family's hometown. I come from a, a family of immigrants and that centered around the Wheat Harvest Festival. You know and what? You are right, Michaela. Yeah. <laughs> because when, when I was preparing for this interview, I was watching season three, and then I said, I got to go back and watch some of these older yeah. episodes. And the Wheat Harvest one was the one you were talking about. And uh, talk about that. So you talked about the one in Puglia, the spider yeah. dance. Talk yeah. about the, the Wheat Harvest dance. Yeah, of course. So, you know, when I first started this project, I wanted, this was 10, 2010 was when we filmed that episode. 
I didn't know anything about production, nothing about TV, but I knew I wanted to tell these stories of travel and dance because that's how I traveled for fun. And lucky for me, I come from a family of immigrants. My grandmother still lives in Italy. And when no one would give me a chance, rightfully so, to give this girl who never had been on TV and a, a TV show, I thought, why not do it myself? So I hired some friends who I went to NYU with. They were in the film school. And we stayed in my grandmother's farmhouse. And every single year in July, there's this beautiful celebration of the wheat harvest, which dates back to really, you know, from the serfs, you know, part of the tradition in Southern Italy was they were they were little mini kingdoms and part of your bumper crop was given to either the, the Duke or the Lord. Um, and then eventually that tradition passed over to the church, right? Because the church owned so much of the land. And it was uh, as a form of gratitude and sort of a, um, how do you say it? Like a, a sacrifice for from your family. And this tradition has passed on. And from that, there are all these dance traditions. So we did the Tarantella Minturnese. There are many forms of Tarantella. And if you think of Tarantella, that's the dance that you do at Italian weddings, um, the big circle dance. But when I went there, I dressed in the traditional Pacchiana outfit. And if you see that episode, I I'm so proud of that episode. It's the very first episode ever, ever, ever of Bare Feet. And there's wheat stalks everywhere. The tradition is the wheat. The art form that they create, these carri. Carri are these big um, wagons, sort of these carts that are decorated entirely of wheat. They paint the wheat, they stain the wheat of these depictions of the wheat harvest of the people of Minturno. And they've been doing this for generations. So I felt very proud of that episode. The whole tie-in of the wheat harvest um, the significance of bread, you know, bread is life. And so there's this really beautiful, and some of the dances you're beating the wheat, the tamburello, the hand drum was based on the sifter, you know, so there's all these ties to food and dance and music. And like I said, when people would, you know, collect food, they'd be singing. So all of these singing traditions come from that. So yes, food, dance, music is so interconnected on so many different levels all across the world in, in different cultures. And this is just one example of that. So I'm, I'm grateful I was able to show my culture. Um, but the food, yes, I know this is, this is a food podcast. So I, I'm grateful that I love to eat food. You know, I'm Italian American. So I grew up where food is the focal point of our family. Every single meal we ate at the table my family, they cook every single meal. We never ate out as kids, mainly because we couldn't really afford it, but also because my family figured we'd eat better <laughs> at home sure. than if we did going out. And it was true. And, and, you know, my husband today, we both love to cook and we cook tra traditional dishes passed down from my family. And it's just, um, I think I feel very lucky to have those food experiences growing up. I know a lot of people don't, so it's 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 a real honor. You said your um, grandmother still lives in Italy, and yeah. that would mean that your parents were probably first generation coming over to the U.S. Were was Italian spoken in your in your household growing up? Because it seems to me, to my ear, my my Italian is probably kindergarten level, and it's <laughs> deteriorated since then. Were they were they speaking Italian in in the household? Because to my ear, it sounds like. You're speaking fluent Italian when you uh, visit these places in Italy. My parents were both born there in, in Minturno. They met here in the United States, actually. Um, they spoke a dialect in the house. We spoke a dialect. I, my sister grew up 
as, with Italian as her first language and English second language. For me, um, I think I was shyer as a kid, funny enough. Um, <laughs> but I Hard to believe. Right. Well, shy in the sense of, of speaking the language. I think everything else I made up for it. <laughs> um, but I, we, I heard and, and spoke sometimes the dialect. And then when I got to, to university, I decided to take Italian, real Italian, and realized at that moment when I was about 19, 20 years old, that my family wasn't speaking Italian, they were speaking a dialect. And I started learning proper Italian and I studied abroad in Italy and I would go back every summer. I would save as much money as I could to stay with my grandparents and um, travel as much as I could. That's where I really fell in love with travel, but also reconnected with my own culture on the Italian side, recognizing the Italian-American experience is very different from an Italian experience, but then also learning the Italian language and really building up. I love my dialect. I think for me, that's my mother tongue of, you know, when I hear someone on the subway speaking a dialect that's very similar to my family's, I'm like, my ear perks up and I want to start (laughs) conversation with them and be like, where are you from? Are you by Naples or, you know, Abruzzo or, you know, we're not that far. And you can hear Roma. My father went to school in Rome so he has sort of this Romano, Shoshara sort of accent. And then when he comes down back to Minturno, the Minturnese comes out, the Spignese. I mean, for anyone who knows these areas, they're only a couple kilometers away from each other, but they each have very particular ways of speaking. And so, yes, I speak Italian now. Um, I definitely speak my dialect. I go back to Italy every year. This year, I haven't gone yet because of COVID, obviously, but... Um, it's, uh, I'm very proud of my Italian heritage, of the culture that I grew up with, but I also, through this DNA season, I am so excited to share that, you know, when people say, I'm 100% this, well, no, that's not true. And there are some amazing places that I went to, Morocco for one of them, and Uzbekistan, where we saw, I mean, I got very emotional in my Morocco episode, I saw people that looked like my father, my grandfather, my uncle. They, I mean, they looked just like my father's side of the family. In Uzbekistan, I was dancing with a woman who looked just like my mother's side of the family. So, And those are both Muslim countries. And it was just like this beautiful experience and um, connection with people that... That's, that's what I wanted to show is that you, you don't always know everything about where you come from. And it's, it, it's, it's wonderful to just connect with the world anyway. Let's go back to Puglia for just a yeah, moment because you went to you went to a really cool place, uh, Bari, which is the industrial seaport town, um, and you visited Grandma Nunzia, who's kind of become like a <laughs> internet sensation, <laughs> internet celebrity. <laughs> I see videos on YouTube of people, you know, walking to her place and you know making pasta with her. But I don't want to spoil it. Talk about uh, Grandma Nunzia. Yeah, so Nuncia, I actually met Nuncia when I was in Bari years ago, and she is this local celebrity. There's a little street called uh, La Strada delle Orecchiette, the street of the Orecchiette pasta. That's the one that's shaped like the ears. And um, until recently, I have to be honest, I think now they've been cracking down on the women, the older women of that street because of, you know, food code, health code regulations, 
Um, but these are women that have been making orequete right outside their home on this little street. You can buy it from them and take it home and cook it. And it's this beautiful tradition of the pasta that comes from Bari, Barese. It's, it's really a Barese pasta. Um, and she's beautiful and she's wonderful. And you can go, you can meet her, you can meet her mother, you can meet all the other beautiful older women that are making these pasta. And um, I hope they, they are still able to do it. Now with COVID, I don't know what's going on. But even before that, there was an article in the Times, I think, that they were saying that they're doing this crackdown on that street. But she is this beautiful ambassador for Bari because she really loves what she does. She loves her culture. And she's speaking the Barese dialect, you know, like... Sometimes she, it's really difficult for me to understand what she's saying, and then she'll jump into regular Italian. But it's, it's, a, it's a delicious pasta, and it, the, the beauty of it is um, the ear shape. It looks like a little cap. It cups the sauce. It cups whatever amazing juice and sauce that you're cooking it with, whether that's uh, broccoli rabe and sausage, right? Usually I think they do orecchiette with broccoli rabe and sausage. That's kind of like yes. the main dish. And it cups those little bits of sausage and broccoli rabe. And, and that's the beauty of that pasta is it really captures it. And you, so you, it's kind of like a little cup of it. And it's it's delicious. And I love it. <laughs> and it would be such a shame if they were to shut down Nunzia because it's just such a beautiful little tradition. I mean, yeah. health health regulations, you know, be damned as far as I'm, you know, when yeah. it comes to this. She's been doing it for who knows how long, 60 years, whatever it's it not, is. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's got sick. You know, let's, no, let's no. be reasonable about this. Yeah, yeah. I know. And if they do need to regulate it, fine, let's make it fair. You know, whatever needs to be done so that they just don't stop what they're doing. Right. Let's make it so that it's still accessible. It's a it's a piece of the culture that you're just then cutting off from the rest of the world. And you go around the corner down to because there's the old town of Bari and it's just tchotchke, Puglia, visit Puglia, visit Italy souvenirs you know why not experience and taste part of the Berese culture and Pugliese culture that you can take home that's the beautiful thing is like you even take home there and just cook there right it's um I think with tourism it's not just about having this plastic piece of plastic with a name on it you you really want to connect with the taste, but then also with Nuncia. You can sit with her. You can talk to her. She's there. She's so bubbly and joyous and infectious, and, and she's there to, to, to share what she loves the most, making that pasta, you know? Well, let's, let's talk about Georgia because yes, yes. for me, Georgia is one of those, I mean, this is really right on the top of my list right now, yeah. and it has yeah. been. We were in Bordeaux, a few years ago, and they built this magnificent palace called the City du Vin, which is a wine museum there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they had a temporary exhibit on Georgian wines. I mm -hmm. knew nothing about Georgian wines at the time. And right. I find out they've been making wine there for 8,000 years. And they had, <laughs> they had literally, they had film from over 100 years old of people going into these earthenware vessels in the ground and yep. you know the the where the wine is fermenting so when i saw that you did an episode on georgia i got very very excited oh, so good. tell me about going to and when we talk about georgia of course we're talking about the republic of georgia not republic this, yeah Succa we're not in atlanta Bello. we're on right. the cusp right. between europe and asia so talk yeah. about your episode in the republic of georgia 
Yeah, so the Republic of Georgia, or even Sakartvelo is what they call themselves, and most of the world calls it Sakartvelo. They're trying to change their name. Um, but Georgia, like you said, has this old tradition of winemaking. And again, it ties into every aspect of the culture. So we were lucky to meet with Iago. Iago um, is, he has a, a company called Iago's Wine. And he started making wine from the tradition of his parents, his grandparents. It's a passed down tradition. He goes, and in our interview with him, he says, I'm not, I was never trained professionally. This is what our family does. And the tradition of wine, of course, goes back 8,000 years, but it is of a tradition of the guest. You're making wines so that if a guest comes to visit, you have the wine to share with them. And we, we, he shows us his cuevri. That's what you were talking about, that the giant sort of uh, wine casket. It's like a clay, I mean, a, a person can fit in it. He jumped in one and started cleaning us to show, or cleaning it to show us the depth yeah, of it underground. It's massive, it's massive. And um, I think he says it held like 2,000 liters of, of wine. Um, it's massive, massive, and it's, that I love the tradition of the wine so much so that wine is such a part of the culture. They have a thing called a tamada. Now a tamada is a professional toastmaster. It's either someone who's up, that's their profession, or if you're having a dinner, there's always one person who is then assigned to be the tamada for the evening. So you're not just drinking wine, you know, they actually have a pretty low rate of alcoholism considering how much wine they consume. Um, it's really, you have, say a toast for every time you drink from your wine glass, there's a toast to be said, right? Whether that's for the family, to be grateful for what's happening. The tamada will talk about every single person sitting at the table and do this toast. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long evening of this beautiful meal that you share together, but you are, and singing, they have the polyphonic singing that comes through. So the wine is just one aspect of this whole process that really ties everything together. And it's beautiful. It's, it's natural wine. It's like naturally filtered wine. So the sediment comes down and it's this amber color wine. Uh, it, it is, I, I, I really do enjoy wines, but I don't like strong wines. And this is a very, um, it's like a tasty, I'm not a, I'm not a, a sommelier at all. So, <laughs> but it is, it is an easy wine to drink and it's delicious and it's bright and um, just the tradition of the singing around the wine, the tamada, you have to go, Brent. I mean, you would just fall in love. It There's sounds so like much such wine. An There's so tradition. much wine. <laughs> so much wine. And, and what about the food in Georgia? What was the food? Uh, like? The food is incredible. You know, our show focuses on dance and music, and we get to eat in so many amazing places. So we have to really pick and choose what we're going to feature in the show. So for Georgia, because wine was such a strong part of the culture, we really focused on wine. But in every meal, I mean, the tomatoes were never anywhere else except for maybe Cyprus. Like the tomatoes were the reddest and juiciest tomatoes and sweet. And they have these pastes that they make. I can't really remember the name, but it's this, this base of a paste. It's like walnut paste. And then they add um, greens, maybe uh, different greens or tomatoes or peppers. And so you have these pastes that are all different colors and these flavors. And they're kind of like a pate almost. And they have this incredible bread that they make on the inside of 
these like cauldron like ovens um, that's almost like a, a naan, you know, similar way that you bake a naan, same, same idea. They have kachipuri, which is like that bread with cheese inside. I mean, we ate very well, very, very, very well. And we just didn't have time in our half hour episode to show all of that. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about dance, because the, the one dance that I wanted to bring up is in your last, I think you're the last episode of the season in Uzbekistan. Yeah. You do what really impresses me, because I have zero dance ability. <laughs> like my, my ability of dancing begins and ends with doing the pogo in a mosh pit. I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, hey, it's dancing. Maybe a little, You're dancing, right? That's all that matters. <laughs> maybe a little fist bumping, uh, pumping, and that's, and that's about it. Right. But in Uzbekistan, so this happens all throughout your show, but it especially struck me in the Uzbekistan where you just jump right in. Yeah. Like you're not rehearsing. The, I mean, you do rehearsal, but you don't have no. We don't knowledge do of the dance beforehand. We, no, it's like you just jump in, and there you are. <laughs> and this Uzbekistan dance was not a simple dance. It was rather complex. Thank Explain, you. Explain first of all your your mindset yeah. of doing that because I think it takes a special kind of person. But the dance itself as well. But first, talk about your mindset. Yeah, I, it's so funny. That's the one. And I, for me, uh, let me tell you my dance background. I grew up dancing my whole life. My parents started putting, I'm so grateful for them supporting me in the arts, but they started putting me in dance classes as a kid because I just danced all the time. And my nickname as a little kid was Tutto Pepe, which means all pepper. Like I was just <laughs> dancing all the time. So I have the vocabulary in my body and I, I've always been a... a a sort of the sponge of different styles of dances growing up. I love taking, being a student of dance, right? I'm not the expert in any of this. I'm not the expert in the dances I'm learning. That's not my goal with bare feet. My goal is to connect with people and use the language of dance to create that common conversation, but also because I, I feel like I can speak that local language, right? I'm sort of this like polyglot of dance almost. Um, and it's funny because the, 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 the number one message I get from fans or questions from, I get from fans is like, how long did you have to dance with those people? Like, how are you learning these dances so quickly? You must go the day before and, and rehearse. And the answer is no, we never, I never rehearse. And I think that's my superpower is, <laughs> it really is. I think that's, I mean, I, I really was able to make this show because I'm not hired. I, I'm the producer. I'm the creator of this show. Right, right. Um, I found what I'm really good at and what I enjoy the most, and that's travel and dancing with people. Like I said, I make new friends by dancing with strangers. And I've realized that not a lot of people can do what I do, even professional dancers, right? And I think the main thing is I don't care if I mess up and look like an idiot. So that that right there. You know, that's such an interesting point, Michaela, because I remember in one episode, I can't remember which one it was, but you literally fell on your backside. Yeah. Oh, it was Scotland, I think it was. I, I slipped on the, the sword, maybe it was, for the high yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You slipped on the sword and you just bust out laughing. Yeah. Now, most most people, their ego would say, you know what? 
cut that out. I'm not going to show that. You show it and there's just a joy to it. You know, hey, I messed up and it was great. Thank you. I mean, that's the, I also, I tried to play the bagpipes in Scotland and that was a massive fail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's, I always tell my crew and they know this about me. You know, I want to show it's, I'm not perfect. Travel isn't perfect. You know, to the point of, you know, we were in the, uh, the Cook Islands and I'm fish, we're fishing for yellowfin tuna and I'm throwing up on the side of the boat. Ugh. And I wanted to, sh- I mean, we didn't show the vomit or anything, but I wanted to show me getting sick because that's travel too. You know, it, and I think yep. going back to the conversation of learning those dances, I want people to realize, yes, I can pick these up fairly quickly, and I want people to see me fumbling a little bit because that's the reality of it. I'm not, again, I'm not there to be a professional Bukhara dancer or Fergana dancer in Uzbekistan. I'm there to try it. Um, I don't know how I do it, to be honest, but I, I sometimes my editors see my face, like I make this face that's like concentrating really, 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 really hard. <laughs> um, I smile and, you know, laugh because I'm, I'm screwing up sometimes, but he knows, my editor knows, like, oh, that's the Michaela's like, in the zone face. Um, but I don't, I want them to capture all of that because I pick it up so quickly that it wouldn't make sense to film me after I learn it. Because then it's just fine. You know, it's boring. It's like, fine, she's doing the dance. But it's the process right. of sharing that excitement. My excitement, I get so excited. I'm like a kid in a candy store. That's all real. The excitement of the people that's sharing it with me. Because what I love is they see this little girl and they're like, she can't do this. And then all of a sudden I try it and they're like, oh, she can. Let's give her more. You know, like you see that. They, they keep wanting to feed me more. And that's what I love about Bare Feet is... People want to share something that they love so much about their culture, the dance and music, because they see how much I love it. And that it's this beautiful exchange of things that we're passionate about. So whether that's food for you, food and wine, for me, it's that dance. It's as if you find a way to travel the world or connect with people on something that's common ground, that's the message of this, right? Like I am obsessed with dancing and making music with people and people can see that that's real, whether the cameras were on or not. I'd be doing this. This is how I travel. And when people say they want to have an authentic travel experience, what I ask them is, what do you love to do? What do you really care about? I love bird watching. I love, uh, you know, photography. I love, uh, maybe it's like tequilas or something, something very specific. And it's like, all right, find the people that are doing that in those places that you're going and meet up with them. And it's this incredible connection because you have that common ground and something you're both passionate about. And I think that's the key to, to, to bare feet. And that's the key to how we can connect with people through travel. Um, that's been my mission this whole time. I want to inspire people to travel differently. Doesn't necessarily mean they have to go and jump on stage on a tango show, you know, that (laughs) scary. Um, but I found my superpower. So it's like, find your superpower, find that way that you can communicate with people, not just verbally. And um, it's it's funny because those moments, sometimes we get an hour with people, sometimes I get five minutes with people. And that's it. 
you know, that's all I get and I'm going to soak it in as much as I can. And what's also interesting is as soon as I leave, I have no idea what my body just did. I couldn't start doing that dance for you um, because I, wow. I'm i watching those people. I'm mimicking them. And I'm, you're in the moment. Yeah, so and I'm mirroring them. I'm, I don't know what I look like. Honestly, while I'm doing it, I'm like, I, I'm probably botching this dance. And I'm watching them like a hawk and I'm mimicking them. That's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm really not thinking about my dance technique, I'm thinking about how can I manipulate my body so it replicates what they're doing. And then the second they leave, I don't have that form to watch. I don't have that leader to watch. So if you ever see me, I'm always like, I need you to be in front of me. I need you to, to I need to be able to see that dancer or else I can't do my job. I don't know what I'm supposed right, to look right. like. So that's a long answer of it. <laughs> I love the the joy and the, you know, just jumping in aspect of it because you know, you you talk about uh, you talk about being shy in certain ways, but also you know it takes guts to put yourself yeah. out there with something that you you don't know. So, yeah, and I think with pro- other professional dancers, sorry to interrupt, but I think with other professional dancers and musicians, that's their they that dance is their profession, right? Dance has become my profession because of this, and I was a, a dance teacher for a number of years in New York City. But you don't want to screw up publicly. Right. That's like your that is your image. That is your reputation. So I think what holds a lot of people back, especially in what I'm doing with dance is, well, what if you screw up? Well, what if I screw up? What's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen for me? Again, like I said, my baseline is I don't care. There's nothing I can lose. I only have stuff to gain from letting myself allowing myself to mess up because I will have the most incredible experience from it. With professional dancers, I think there is this performance aspect always that it needs to be perfect, it needs to be exact, and that's what it really holds them back if they wanted to try these dances, you know. So what about, uh, you know, season three's out, season four, any thoughts? Uh, have you started planning? Are you thinking about it? Where are you with it? Yeah, well, <laughs> we were supposed to be filming season four okay. last month. Um and obviously COVID hit. We had just secured, for the first time in Barefeet history, like our biggest funder. Because for those of you who don't know, most people don't know how public television works. But when you see the brought to you in part by is that's what helps fund the production of the show and the distribution of the show. Since it is PBS, public television, owned by the people of the United States, we pay to distribute our show on public television. Um, and so we had finally secured like the biggest funding we've ever gotten. This was back in February. We had 12 episodes lined up, one of which we already shot a few years ago that just didn't fit in my DNA season. So we were kind of putting it on hold. And then COVID hit. So season four, I have to say, the full season four is on hold indefinitely. I don't know when we're going to start filming because let's say travel starts picking up again. Our show is very specific about festivals and holidays and people dancing and touching and interacting that's not going to happen for quite a while right and i've i've come to terms with that you know we there's going to be a big pause however um last month i was thinking about that footage that we shot and i'm not going to reveal what the destination is yet or maybe i will you know what why not um (laughs) we shot in the guadalupe islands during carnival oh wow and that was going to be yeah and that was going to be one of the episodes for season four and I was thinking about this. I, th- I think we have enough footage for two episodes. And lo and behold, we do. 
two gorgeous episodes and we're working on them right now. And we plan to release them come February for carnival season in Black History Month because carnival, uh, the carnival, excuse me, the Guadalupe Islands are so connected to their African roots. And this was, you know, before these protests, protests started happening, um, I had decided to do this. And now even more so, I feel like it's such an important story to share. Um, But I'm really excited because it will give viewers a taste of the French Caribbean, uh, of an island that is extremely proud, incredibly uh, open with sharing with me all of these uh, traditions and, 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 and experiences. But then really, it's like when I go to the Caribbean, I never go to the beach. This show is not about going <laughs> to the beach, going to a spa. We don't go to the beach. We are in people's homes. I am making music. We are dancing. We are digging deep into the Guoka culture. We are digging deep into the sides of carnival. We are deep digging deep into um, the food. We, we eat bokit. We, you know, there is, this is bare feet. It's always been the mission of bare feet. It's not like we're changing it. And I'm really proud of that. And so we have a, a mini two episode series that's going to come out. I haven't even announced. This is the first time I'm talking about it publicly, but I think, um, world premiere announcement. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, um, I'm, I don't know when we're going to film the rest of the season. This was supposed to be one of 12 for the new season. And I thought, why wait? Because to be honest, we probably won't be able to film for another year and a half. And PBS production takes another year. It, you know, it's, it's going to be a long haul. So I'm like, I want this, these stories to come out and know what people aren't in production right now. So stations are going to want content. They need the show. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody in the sense that just because it's two episodes, usually if this was normal life, two episodes wouldn't be enough. You know, you need like a 12 episode season. Um, but this isn't normal life. So let's, let's share these stories. So I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. Before we let you go, Michaela, let me ask you your, uh, this is an off the wall question, but your production company that produces bare feet is called sauce and liver productions. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend is Italian American. She has dual passport. She has Mm -hmm. uh, dual citizenship. She has a passport to Italy, passport to us. Mm -hmm. And one of the big questions, (laughs) I don't even know if it's a question, it's more of a controversy, is what do you call red marinara? Okay. (laughs) You call it it sauce, you call it gravy. And I'm not going to tell you what side she falls on, but I'm going to ask you as an Italian-American what side Can I ask, when did her family come to to the United States? Because I think that has a big impact on what they call it before I answer that question. Yeah, sure. It was uh, almost 100 years ago. Okay, so they call it gravy. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they do. We call it sauce. And I'll tell you why. When Italians came over and the Italian-American community was growing in the United States in the early late 19th century, early 20th century, there was no such thing as red sauce or marinara sauce. What Americans understood as this thick meat-based ragu was gravy. Think about it. In the American vernacular, for what this was, it was gravy. Fast forward to the 19, late 1960s when my family came over, 
Sugo, we call it sugo in Italy. Yes, yes. Sugo translates to sauce. And by the 60s, people understood sauce, the term sauce. So I think that's where no one in my family calls it gravy. No one in our whole community calls it gravy because everybody (laughs) in our family came over in the uh, 60s and 70s. And I, 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 that's my theory. It's only mine, my theory. I don't know. I'm sure there are other people who have other theories, but right. I honestly believe it's when your family came over and the translation of the American translation of what this deliciousness was. If you have that definition back then, that's what gravy was. And you know what? This is what sauce is. So that's my answer. <laughs> Again, a long, a long answer. I love, well, it's, it's great for two reasons. One is I like your theory because when, when I come up with theories like this, I have all kinds of them and I always call them my own personal crackpot mm-hmm. theories because mm-hmm. I'm the only one who has these theories about how things happen, but that's, that's it. So that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's your own personal crackpot yeah. theory. But I also think, you know, and calling crackpot theory, I'm not being dismissive at all, you know, right. just being funny, right. but this is the first time I've ever heard a cogent explanation of, of of why this could have possibly happened this way because it launches a thousand arguments. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know. Amongst people, you know, no, gravy is brown. No, it's this is what it's always been called. So now I have a little bit of ammunition in my non-Italian American pocket that I can kind of pull out and say, well, Michaela says. <laughs> and ask them, and I again, like I said, I asked you, when did her family come right. over, right? That seems to be the key here. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Because I know all of my Brooklyn friends that are Italian-American, uh, they call it gravy. Right, right. Right? I know that. They call it gravy because that's what it was called. So it's. I think there's everything has to be considered in context. Everything has to be considered in, in context, really. It's just like, because I've had this, it's not an argument. It's really... I've seen the art, quote unquote, argument over and over again. It's like, it's, we're talking about the exact same thing. <laughs> There's no reason to get upset over it. You know, like, but does it taste good? Let's hope yours tastes as good as ours. Cause that's the real argument, right? right. right? Who's is Who's is better? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whose grandma made the best, uh, gravy slash sauce on Sunday? That's the, that's the important question. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's right. been great talking to you and, uh, Michaela Malazzi, we'll look forward to uh, checking out season three on Amazon prime on PBS. Everyone should check out all of these shows and we'll look forward to seeing you um, on TV and on the dance floor. Thank you so much, Brent. Grazie mille, grazie. Okay, there you go. Michaela Malazzi of Bare Feet. I can't tell you how many arguments I've either observed or participated in where the subject was sauce versus gravy. This is the very first time. And it's been decades that I've heard this debate going on of sauce versus gravy. But this is the very first time that I've heard an actual explanation as to why it's sauce versus why some people call it gravy. So there you go. Michaela Malazzi has the info on sauce versus gravy. That's going to be it for this episode of Destination Eat, Drink. And next week, we are going to be visiting Spain 
Even though you can't visit Spain in person right now at this very moment, I'll be talking to someone who can personally take you to Spain for a virtual foodie experience. Until next Friday, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. If you're downloading this on Friday, today is June 12th, and it's the big party celebration, or at least it usually is, in Lisbon, Portugal, the Feast of St. Anthony. It starts on uh, June 12th. It finishes on June 13th. It's the biggest party that Lisbon has every year. Unfortunately, this year, that party is canceled due to the pandemic. But I've written an article about the Feast of St. Anthony, and I posted it on DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the blog page, and you can see that new article. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed, for all your great work. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 